0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. We hope it'll be a good day for you. Again, my thanks to Jesse Allen for great coverage from the Cattle Industry Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, the last couple of days. Really appreciate it. Coming up today, we are going to take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers and uh, Challenges in that industry when it comes to supply chain and some of those issues, we'll talk with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We're going to talk about the infrastructure package with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, and we'll have a report from Sturgis and the Big Bike Rally. Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association is out there once again promoting ethanol, and he'll be checking in with a report a little bit later on. But let's start things off with the news. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us. And Jerry, so the Senate passes the uh, infrastructure package, but now as it goes to the House, now it's uh, we get caught up in this $3.5 trillion budget uh, bill that uh, it's hard to separate the two. They, they start becoming intertwined, right? And And what does that mean for the passage of one or the other?
2: Uh, well, good, uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, uh, of course, the Senate also passed the 3.5 trillion dollar budget resolution, uh, and the two are indeed intertwined. Uh, and uh, I think they will both have to they'll, they'll both have to be passed by the House if either one is going to be passed. Uh, but the, the, it's important to to uh, disconnect. The budget resolution and also the reconciliation bill. Uh, the budget re- resolution allows for the provisions in the reconciliation bill, and the Senate has not considered all of that yet. Um, that will happen uh, in September when they come back. They're not coming back till September 13th. But in the meantime, the House is going to come back on August 23rd. To to consider the the budget resolution, which I assume that they will pass at that time, uh, even though there'll probably be a big voterama on on amendments, just as there was in the in the Senate. Um, so I'm expecting a very busy fall with the. Um, Uh, budget reconciliation bills going through and then also when you get to consideration of the infrastructure bill the physical infrastructure bill there will be attempts in the house to uh, amend that so we're going to have a uh, busy period but I would say that passage of the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill and the budget resolution are both signs of progress
0: it's also a lot of money and a lot of concerns with inflation and debt. Will the Democrats even be able to keep all their votes? I mean, we've heard from some moderate Democrats that they have concerns about some of this spending.
2: Yes, there are concerns about this. And there is talk about reducing the size of the uh, what will be the reconciliation bill, the $3.5 trillion. Uh, that may indeed uh, happen. Uh, but if you look at the support for the physical infrastructure bill, it's nearly unanimous. Uh, the only groups that I've seen criticize it are the, are the ethanol groups because there's nothing in it really for uh, uh, for ethanol. It, and so uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, to pass these p- pieces of legislation. And I would never underestimate Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker and her ability to pull her uh, caucus together, even when that is uh, difficult and she only has a few uh, few votes to spare.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of support for the physical infrastructure portion of it. It's the rest of it. And, uh, I mean, so are they just setting it up to where you got to have all of it to get the infrastructure part that you want?
2: Well, yes, but when you say the U, there are lots of different U's out there. And there's a lot of support for the Human Infrastructure Bill, too. Uh, it may not be from farmers, but it is from other people. So uh, I think you know, that's right. You, you, the, but they'll have to pass both uh, to get one, as far as, as the politics are at the moment.
0: Meanwhile, the president, who has not been a big supporter of fossil fuels domestically, uh, now asking OPEC to increase oil production because we need more oil, we need more energy. I, I mean, isn't that kind of uh, uh, hypocritical at this point? I mean, he's not done much to spur domestic production, but he wants OPEC to ramp up?
2: Well, I suppose you can call it hypocritical. It's a very short-term issue uh, because the gas prices have been, um, uh, have been going up. Uh, uh And of course, people are still mostly driving um, uh, cars that depend on fossil fuels and ethanol uh It'll be a long time before we have i guess the majority of cars in the country operating on uh on electricity uh but that 's the situation we 're in at the moment
0: yeah we 've got ethanol that that extends and helps us uh you know use the fossil fuels we have expand them uh, their use by adding ethanol and improving the environment at the same time but yet they've not they've been very slow and very hesitant to come out and really uh, push for more ethanol Uh, instead they're pushing for electric vehicles which as you just said that's down the road we're talking about right now
2: yes yes i don't know if we have a shortage of ethanol at the moment that's not something i uh, no, we followed. don't
0: have a shortage no we don't have a shortage what I'm saying is we could use more of it now it would help for every gallon of ethanol you use that's much less uh, uh, petroleum you'd have to use so you know it extends what we have
2: well that's true I mean if the administration were pushing for more E15 uh, uh-huh. and other higher uh, higher blends uh, uh, but they haven't uh, uh, they haven't re- they haven't really uh, they haven't really done that even though the agriculture department talks about making it more uh, more uh, possible, uh, there's this conflict going on over the uh, you know the the ethanol and the and the refiners uh, wanting to use uh, less of it, and that really has not been resolved. Right.
0: Hey, wh- where are we on taxes as far as what the administration wants to do as far as helping pay for some of these spending bills?
2: Well, in terms of the issue that. Uh, concerns farmers the most is the elimination of stepped-up basis, uh, which of course would have a big impact on the transfers of farms from one generation to the other. Uh, Senator John Thune uh, uh, wrote an amendment that said y- you, that you would have to, that the that the uh, reconciliation bill uh, could not m- uh, make those uh, taxes higher for farmers, at least. Uh and that passed the Senate unanimously. Mm -hmm. Now exactly what that means when you actually get to tax writing, I'm not sure. Senator Debbie Stabenow, the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, who's also sitting on the Senate Finance Committee, told me the other day that uh she doesn't want to raise taxes on uh on farmers and of course the Biden administration has said it doesn't want uh the stepped up basis to apply to to farms that remain in families.
0: Yep, we'll watch it closely. Jerry, as always, thanks for the update. We appreciate it.
2: You're you're welcome. Have Have a good week.
0: All right, talk to you again soon. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
3: Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Moth, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, Michael Langmeier, Purdue Ag Economist, want to get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Kind of give us an overview.
4: Producers are obviously very concerned about input prices. We asked a very general question about whether they expected the prices paid index would include all the inputs used in production agriculture, both for crop and livestock producers. And historically, that average has only increased about 2% for the last 10 years. Well, only 20% of those surveyed think that in the next year it's going to be less than 2%. So that means 80% of the producers think that we're going to see considerable uh, input price inflation compared to what we've seen in the last 10 years. And and it's not just cash rent, fertilizer in particular, but there's other input prices also that they're very concerned about. And so I, I think the combination of those two things is creating a situation where the index is lower than certainly what it was in the spring of
0: this year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: And welcome back. Um, just some, I, I just find this very frustrating, uh, the the administration has not been more supportive of the biofuels industry i mean they've said they are but we haven't seen uh, the push uh, for higher levels and under the rfs uh, we've not seen what they're going to do is handling uh, the request for waivers from the rfs are they going to push for e15 year-round sales these are things that could be done now to, A, improve our air quality, which is what we're trying to do with climate goals, right? That's what they say they want to do. And to use what we have right now to help lower gas prices. Ethanol is a lower cost fuel. We could use, We could have it. If you look at your pumps out there where you find ethanol blends, they are lower priced than the non-ethanol fuels. And so we have this available now, but after all this time of basically discouraging domestic energy production, oil production, now the administration asks OPEC to step up their production. <laughs> I mean, why? I mean, we have it right here. We could be doing more domestically. And yet they continue, now they turn to OPEC, and at the same time push, all they talk about is electric vehicles, electric vehicles. That's down the road. Yeah, there's some now, but we can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden turn everything over to electric vehicles. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the capability. Why would you get us into this position now where here we have higher prices at the pump and asking other countries. We've spent all this time, we've spent years working for energy independence to to not depend on OPEC for our energy. And, and biofuels helped get us to that point where we weaned ourselves off of that. We were able to um, use our own production and improve the environment at the same time by using biofuels so we have this right here but all this administration wants to talk about is electric vehicles electric vehicles electric vehicles and while we're getting there we're paying higher gas prices and now looking to other countries to provide us with fuel that does not seem to be a good sound energy policy to me so we'll see what happens there but it is frustrating i think uh to to have the administration to just basically ignore an answer that's right here in front of them to deal with higher prices, to deal with climate, and to deal with availability of uh, of energy. We have it here, we have the capability here. So why not use it? Instead, we ask OPEC to increase their production. Doesn't sound like a good sa- sound energy policy to me. All right, and I mentioned this earlier in the week. I do have concerns about uh, this infrastructure package. Hey, I I'm I'm happy if we can get money to improve our infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our locks, our dams, our broadband, we need it. No denying that. But what cost if if to get that, we have this huge, three and a half trillion dollar package on these other things more of a social agenda Uh, they call it human infrastructure but let's face it there's not the support for that that there is for the roads bridges and the physical things that uh, got the infrastructure package passed and the cost of this is is huge and looks to still be growing and somehow that has to be paid for i understand when they talk about investments, I understand. How often, though, do you hear politicians talk about, well, we're going to invest this, and it's going to pay off down the road. You get down the road, and all you hear, what didn't get done, and we're going to have to have another investment to get us better off down the road again. And that's, we just keep kicking that can down the road. Yes, we need investments in infrastructure. But I even have concerns, if this passes, how does... How quickly, if at all, does the money actually get to where it needs to get? We've Congress has passed trillions of dollars of, of of different spending plans since the pandemic started. And while they keep talking about we need to spend more, we also hear that we haven't spent what's been appropriated so far. A lot of it is still sitting somewhere and not getting to where it was supposed to, to go. And this has been months since it's been passed. So if they pass the infrastructure package, and again, I'm not against it. I want I want our roads and bridges and locks and dams and broadband to be improved. It, we need to. But how do we, what are the guarantees that money gets to where it's supposed to go and that it actually helps these areas that need it? And who really decides where it goes and who's the top priority and how that money's going to be spent and how it's funneled through whatever agency it may be or or how they divvy that out. I mean, to me, there are a lot of questions there that I hope we get some answers to as they continue the debate on this infrastructure package as well as this uh, budget resolution issue. I mean, we're talking huge money here. And I mentioned this earlier in the week whatever happened to the days when we talked about offsets if you're going to increase spending you cut something else or just make better use make better decisions on how the money we already send in to the federal government on how that is used and i realize that that gets controversial because nobody wants budgets cut and everyone thinks their area is a priority and uh it's more important than somebody else's. I understand those are huge issues. But still, at some point, don't most of us feel we're spent? We're sending in a, plenty of money to Washington, D.C. right now and wondering what are we getting for that? I'm not against foreign development either, but it seems like it's easier for us in this country to fund building a bridge or a road in another country than it is to do it in our own country. To do it in our own country, we have to come up with some new spending plan. But yet there always seems to be money available to go do the same things for infrastructure in another country. I find that frustrating. We're sending that money in, and then every time we need something like roads, bridges, locks and dams, we hear, well, we're going to have to have new spending for that. We're going to have to have new income for that. Well, why? Where's the money we're sending in now going to? I think maybe that needs to be looked at a lot more closely so these are huge issues and huge questions for our country moving forward we know that there are needs there but how we address those needs i think these decisions that are going to be made here in the next few weeks going into the fall i think will have uh, long range ramifications huge impact on our country moving forward so not sure where this is going to all settle I think we all need to look closely at it, talk with our members of Congress, get their views on it, and share our views with them because uh, these are huge issues. And I just worry because we wor- we need those infrastructure improvements so much. Those are investments because other countries' infrastructure is improving our competitors. But what will the cost be? And some would say, well, what's the cost if you don't? Well, that's true. But let's better use the money that we have more pinpoint make sure it goes to where it needs to go to and uh, not be spending it on a lot of other things that really won't address those particular needs and issues everybody talks about well there's consensus we need infrastructure improvement that's right but then what happens now we have a political system set up here now that to get that infrastructure money that is needed and it has, a bi- has bipartisan support. To get that, they're setting up a system where you have to uh, go along with the $3.5 trillion extra to get the, the $1 trillion for the infrastructure. <laughs> that's a pretty hefty price tag. To get your $1 trillion for infrastructure improvements, you have to agree to another $3.5 trillion on on other things. And that's kind of the way it is setting up, and I find that very, very frustrating again. Why not focus on the things that need to be done, can be done, has bipartisan support, and go from there? But instead, it's the Christmas tree approach. Add on a bunch of other things. We see, And we've seen both parties over the years do this, regardless of which party's in power. Happens to be the Democrats now. But we've seen it on both sides all along. Um, just load up things. This is your chance because there's... there's uh, there's support to get one thing done so to get that let's just load it up with a lot of other things and then we'll get it, all those things and the trouble is after you do that then they turn around and say well we need more for something else we need more it, it, it's never ending so these are those are my frustrations my concerns and my uh questions as we move forward on this but if we do get that infrastructure package how will it impact and how will it help agriculture we'll break that down with mike steenhook Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
5: I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player for the Indianapolis Colts. Becoming a running back was no easy task for me, but it's nothing compared to what my amazing mom faces every day. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 years old, yet she's always there for me, every step of the way, despite her own battles. And the Muscular Dystrophy Association is there for my mom. At their 150 care centers across the U.S., MDA is the leading organization in research and care for kids and adults with muscular dystrophy, ALS and related neuromuscular diseases. Their research is helping find cures and save lives. Watching my mom go through her daily struggles and the care she receives from MDA has made me determined to help find a cure for neuromuscular disease. That is why I support MDA and that's why I'm so grateful to others who do too. Join me and learn more at helpmda.org today.
6: You are listening to AOA. I'm Jessica Benson. Grain futures are trading mixed to mostly lower today ahead of the USDA, WASD, and crop production reports. Corn yield estimate is expected to be lower to to 177.1 bushels per acre and new crop ending corn stocks at 1.265 billion bushels. And the 8 to 14 day forecast is looking more promising with above normal precipitation expected for almost the entire corn belt. But if that rain does come through, it will provide timely benefit for soybean crops filling pods in August. We're expecting to see a slight decrease estimate of US new crop ending soybean stocks and a lot of today's attention will be focused on USDA's international crop estimates. It's possible reductions could be seen for all top four exporters. On the Chicago Board of Trade, September corn is down four and a quarter at 552. September soybeans are down 10 and three quarters at 1336 and a quarter. September bean meal is up 40 cents at 354.30 a ton. September bean oil is down 71 points at 61.51. September Chicago wheat is up three and a half at 730 and a half. September KC wheat is up two and a quarter at 712 and a half. And Minneapolis spring wheat for September is up 5 at 918. As for livestock, there's a very strong possibility that packers will need to bid higher in order to obtain the supply they need as feedlots are holding out firm on their asking prices. The rebound we saw in hog futures yesterday should generate further buying as price support held and traders are seeing some potential strength developing in those cutouts. On the Board of Trade, October live cattle are down 17 cents at 127.40. December's down 5 cents at 133.12. September feeders are up 60 cents at 163.42, with October up 77 cents at 166.07. Lean hogs for October are up 70 cents at 86.55, with December up 85 cents at 79.75. You are listening to AOA. I'm Jessica Benson.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers
1: need to know on AOA. Now, back to
0: Mike Adams. Okay, you've just heard my concerns and frustrations with this whole infrastructure resolution Deals. So let's uh, let's break it down and get some thoughts from Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. Before we get into what would what's in there for infrastructure, your thoughts. I just expressed a lot of concerns that it's kind of set up to get the 1.2 trillion dollars for roads and ports and waterways, bridges and th- and broadband. To get that, they're going to have to pass another three and a half trillion to get these other things. What they call human infrastructure, but uh, those other things uh, I don't i as much as I want and support and understand the need for the physical infrastructure, if you add all that other on there, it seems like a pretty high price to pay and it's
4: it's happening at a time where. Yes, we're recovering from COVID, but, you know, the the worry with the economy is that we're actually going to be overheating uh, rather than underheating. And so, you know, a, a legitimate question to ask is, is this the time to keep, you know, adding trillions of dollars of spending uh onto uh onto americans and and that's a very legitimate concern um you know this is uh something that's always frustrated me about washington dc and republicans are guilty of it democrats are guilty of it you know democrats are in control so they're kind of the culprits right now but you know you have an issue where there is bipartisan agreement and close to consensus infrastructure in this case and so what you know what Normal people would do is they would say, "Great, we've got an area of consensus and agreement. Let's pass it." But now, what Washington D.C. does is they say, "We've got an area of consensus. Let's attach uh, some controversial things onto it and make it make the passage of the consensus issue or item contingent upon the passage of a controversial, you know, portfolio." And that's what's re- and that 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 should be frustrating to all Americans. Um, so. You know, we obviously would like to see the infrastructure package passed, just more focused on infrastructure. But you know, we're obviously seeing um, this uh, this other debate happen in Washington D.C.
0: Okay, you and I, you and I agree on that. So that's kind of basically what I was just saying in the last segment. All right, so let's let's. Put aside for the moment the three and a half trillion dollar part of it. If if we can if we could just get the 1.2 trillion that just passed out of the Senate, what's in there uh, that really addresses our infrastructure needs in this country?
4: Yeah, we're we're very pleased that um, there there's funding that is uh, identified for roads, bridges, and other kind of more major projects that have more regional or national uh impact um 40 billion of that money um 110 billion is for roads bridges and major projects and then you have 40 billion of that that's specifically identified for replacing and repairing bridges many of them in rural areas and yes you know, so that's something that you know clearly would provide benefit to the agricultural supply chain we're also pleased to see 17 billion dollars um, identified for ports and waterways and you know, we've got a, an in-the-lottery system that is underfunded. That's something we've been talking about for years. Um, and so any prospect to get meaningful funding directed to some of our locks and dams, this will not solve the problem in its entirety, but it will make a significant improvement in it. Um, you know, that's something that we certainly should, should welcome. And, you know, we have to keep remembering that, you know, what makes agriculture so profitable is not just it's not just growing the crop, and it's not just having demand for that crop. It's it's our ability to get crop from supply to demand in a cost-effective manner. So some of these, um, you know, this, some of these proposals and some of these funding allocations would certainly help achieve that.
0: We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So Mike, here's my other concern: if we if this does pass. The money actually getting to where it needs to get to and that we actually see the improvements in the infrastructure that we're being told will come from this i mean i mentioned this earlier congress has approved a lot of spending during the pandemic and they keep talking about spending more but yet we hear about a lot of money that's been appropriated or approved not actually being spent yet, not actually being used how it was intended to use, be used, so that would be my concern here they they pass one point two trillion for infrastructure, do we actually see the improvements and the money going to those projects that need to it it needs to go to
4: yeah I, that's a, that's a legitimate concern and, and you know I, I I guess that that makes it all the more incumbent upon you know constituent groups to you know, not only advocate for the passage of the legislation itself, but, but also making sure it's ex- executed appropriately. A lot of times people, uh, they pop the champagne when the, the mm-hmm. bill was signed into law. I think it's yeah. more appropriate to do that when you actually see those intentions that were listed in the bill actually become outcomes. So an actually a new bridge, a new lock and dam, an enhanced port, so I think, you know, we really need to make sure that, you know, we're keeping, you know, the pressure on to make sure, hey, it's great you, you pass a piece of legislation, but uh, we're not going to celebrate until we actually
0: see the
4: project come to fruition.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I get so tired of speeches and ceremonies saying, well, look how wonderful we've these wonderful things we've done in in Washington, and then you get out in the country and you don't see it you don't see it happening there. That's where the celebrations need to take place when those things are actually built and done. All right, so um, we'll put that aside for now because I've got a lot of uh, debating and and bickering to do over over that before we get to an end on this one. Where are we right now? We're, let's go to the West Coast, the port back up there. Any improvements in that?
4: You know, you know, we continue to see some some improvements, but you know, my forecast and the forecast of most others who monitor these issues is that we're going to be operating in a very stressed supply chain easily throughout 2021 and well into 2022. Because what we're at right now is you have the back to school season that's occurring, where there's a lot of, of freight that's being brought into the United States naturally. Um, so you're putting that on top of an already stressed supply chain. Right after that is the holiday season. And then what a lot of um, a lot of companies are doing in the United States is they're saying, look, we've been operating kind of a just-in-time delivery kind of model for a number of years, and, and there's an economic reason for that. But what happens when all of a sudden you throw a big wrench in our supply chain? Uh, we're really caught, uh, caught flat-footed here. And so, what a lot of these companies are doing, even if they've caught up with their current demand, is they're saying, no, we're going to replenish our inventory. We're going to build new storage. We're going to, and then fill it up with inventory because we can't be caught flat footed again. So, that's putting even more stress on manufacturing and on the supply chain. So, again, the forecast is increased movement of freight um, worldwide, particularly coming to the United States from Asia again, throughout 2021, well into 2022. I, I wish that wasn't the case, but, you know, that really is the forecast.
0: Yeah. Our just-in-time system has become not-in-time, as we see in many aspects of our lives, and you go to try to buy something and get something, uh, and it's not there. Um, where are we as far as rail car availability as we head to harvest time?
4: Well, I mean, the you know, the railroad... You know, anticipate they're going to be able to to fulfill the the current demand, you know. But I, I do you know think that um, you know it's pretty, particularly in some areas where you're going to have very sizable production. Uh, some other areas, there it's good the production is going to be you know diminished somewhat. But uh, when you when you've got um, again an overall stressed, uh, overly subscribed supply chain, you know railroads are struggling with that as well. And so, you know, all of a sudden, you now moving a lot of freight to, say, the West Coast, um, you know, throughout the country. Yeah, I would not be surprised if we would see some some real challenges with that. But I, again, I think overall, when you look at, say, containerized shipping, that's that's where you see a real significant problem. You know, bolt freight is performing better than containerized freight. Um, and, and so we're, we're hopeful that, you know, I expect to see some challenges, but I, I don't Envision those being as widespread and as pervasive as what we're seeing with containerized freight.
6: How are
0: we on the rivers right now? Um, we're you know things are things are looking pretty good. I think it's pretty it's pretty well positioned.
4: Um, you know we, we did see some rates barge rates increase last year. You would expect that with all of the ex- the, the strong export demand. Um, so that's going to be one of the remain one of the issues but um you know so far so far i think it's you know the river's pretty well positioned
0: all right so mike we'll watch closely what happens in congress on this infrastructure bill and um i'm I'm just afraid they're going to pop those corks on the champagne bottles way too soon but uh we'll see and we'll talk more about it as we get closer thank you very much
4: thank you mike always good to be with you
0: Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right, up next we'll go to Sturgis for the big bike rally. Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association is out there once again this year, promoting ethanol. They've become a big part of the uh, rally, and we'll see how it's going this year, how the crowds are, what they're hearing about uh, ethanol with motorcycles, and uh, also want to get um, Robert's thoughts on the administration asking OPEC to increase their production instead of saying to our biofuels industry, we need more from you. And the biofuels industry would say, yes, we can provide you more. Just let us. We'll talk about that with Robert White coming up next. Stay with us. You are listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
7: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
1: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,
0: Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture Veronica Nye economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation this is uh, the downside of higher commodity prices right that uh, we see these input costs going up
8: Yeah that's true unfortunately you know USDA is projecting some pretty sizable increases especially in you know the fertilizer and chemical side looking at you know when you combine those about a 5% increase in 2022 compared to 2021 so certainly not a insubstantial increase when you're thinking about the fact that fertilizers and chemicals make up, you know, nearly 50% of total operating costs for corn and
0: beans. And it looks like the costs are pretty much across the board.
8: They are. You know, you sort of look at, you know, the major field crops and and you're looking at somewhere around about an average 2%
0: increase on the operating cost side for corn, beans, wheat, cotton, rice, peanuts, sorghum, oats, and barley. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at DTNPF.com backslash field posts.
5: The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Let's head to Sturgis, South Dakota. The big bike rally underway. Robert White, vice president, industry relations for the Renewable Fuels Association, has been there all week promoting ethanol. How's it going, Robert?
8: It's been going good, Mike. We're, we're seeing a lot of people making a lot of touch points and big crowd out here this year.
0: Yeah, how does it compare with years past crowd size?
8: Well, it'll be, a, you know, 2-3 weeks probably before we have official numbers, but just based on traffic and campers and daily sightings, I would say this will be a record
0: year. You know, you've been there a number of years promoting ethanol. I would guess you see some familiar faces come back each year.
8: That's right. We've we've had some fun conversations Uh, We had one guy roll up uh, yesterday that had one of our T-shirts from six years ago. We had a guy from Hungary that had a shirt from two years ago. And it's it's good to have those repeat offenders because they are helping us spread the message. And we saw some of that even in the line waiting for uh, free fuel during our free fuel happy hour promotion. And one guy was unsure about ethanol, and it was overheard another biker talking to him and telling him it was okay.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, because for those that are skeptical still, what, what do you most often hear? What are their concerns?
8: Well, and, you know, it's never, they never have a direct story. It's always the second or third-hand story that someone had an issue or they've been warned by someone. Uh, a gentleman uh, took probably 20 minutes to have a conversation with me yesterday he said he's from Tennessee and he's been told to avoid ethanol he, said he drives out of his way 20-30 minutes sometimes and so we talked through what octane was and volatility and what what replaces ethanol's octane if ethanol's not there and he walked away and I'm, i'd be shocked if he ever tried to avoid ethanol
0: again hmm. so tell us some of your activities there i know you get to spend some time up on the stage in front of folks and uh talk about ethanol you had uh, Governor Nome was there, a big part of uh, the festivities this week. Uh, kind of give us a review of how it's gone.
8: Yeah, we, we do our free fuel happy hours, which is basically three hours a day where we give away a free tank of 93 octane E10. The motorcycles love that extra octane. Uh, and and uh, the, the great story around that is the 93 octane with ethanol is cheaper than the 91 octane without in town. So there's another story we can tell. Uh, we're on stage every night talking to the crowd. Uh, Sunday night was pretty wild. There was over 100,000 people in the amphitheater that we got to talk to uh, with the microphone on the end of the catwalk. So that's that's always an interesting moment and fun at the same time. Uh, yeah. We've done the Legends ride that Governor Noem was a part of, uh, raised money for Special Olympics and the Sturgis Motorcycle Museum, and uh, I participated on Tuesday in a Women's Day event educating them Uh, those female riders on ethanol so it's been a jam-packed week we've had some producers out here helping us pump fuel and spread the good word so good week all around
0: all right hey i want to get your thoughts uh, because i've i've been venting about this today when we get news that the biden administration is asking opec to ramp up production At a time when we've seen this administration not fully get behind the biofuels industry, and we have the fuel here right now, and we have the domestic production that would help clean the air and and improve the climate, we have all this right here, and the administration turns to OPEC and says, we need you to increase production. I find that very frustrating. How do you feel about it?
8: Well, I I would be equally frustrated. There's no doubt about that. We have continued to tell administration after administration that we are a low cost, domestic, renewable, cleaner option. That not only is better than what we pull out of our oil patches, but definitely better than the the sources that OPEC comes from. So we will remind them yet again that we are here and at the ready. We have plants that are still idled. We have plants that are not fully running at full capacity. There's plenty of ethanol to blend and you know, We've got a lot of opportunities with E15, and it's another 5% of ethanol improved for, you know, 95, 96% of the cars on the road. There's a lot of opportunity for us to uh, not only supply more domestic fuel, but at a lower price.
0: Yeah, and if they don't want to increase domestic oil production, well... Here again, this is a plus for biofuels. We extend the production that we have, the supplies of oil that we have. Right? If, when you use more ethanol, that extends the use of uh, the gallons of oil that we have.
8: Well, that's exactly right. And and you know the the administration is talking out uh, one side about how we need to clean the air, or reduce carbon. Well, asking OPEC to provide us more oil seems counterintuitive. Hmm. But uh, we we will continue that push. It's it's been a rough several years now of Uh, reminding whatever administration that, you know, this is a a thriving industry that powers rural America and and fuels the rest of the country, and we're ready to help.
0: Yeah, we have to keep telling both parties this. It seems like they can't seem to get this this message. The other part of it is, as we pay more and more at the pump, if we had more ethanol there, higher ethanol blends, it would be a, a cost savings for motorists.
8: Well, I saw a perfect example coming out here, Stopped in Mitchell, South Dakota, the Phelps truck, pulling, you know, a trailer full of all the goodies for it over a week in Sturgis, and uh, E85 was a dollar discount to regular unleaded. I mean, it's, it's staring you right in the face. We, we show the consumers, we show anyone that fuels what economic advantage we can provide.
0: So you're just about done, but you've got a few more uh, uh, activities there at uh, the rally. What's, what's left to do?
8: Well, we got a free fuel promotion. We we're getting ready to head up and set set up for from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. today. And then we're, we're going to pack up and head for home. Uh,
0: mission accomplished this year. Very good. Well, it sounds like it's been very successful. Have a safe trip back. We'll talk again soon, Robert. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Mike. Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. All right. That wraps it up for today. Uh, Crop Report Day today, we'll have analysis of those numbers coming up on tomorrow's program. We will get tomorrow to the uh, ag equipment sales numbers and also tomorrow a preview of the Farm Progress Show. Final preparations for the show that starts August 31st, runs also September 1st and 2nd. Big three-day run, not very far away. We'll tell you more about it tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.